0: My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. I have to say that pastors are probably some of the most jaded people when it comes to outreach that you will ever meet. In fact, when I was interviewing at the church, uh, Danny and Glenny and... uh, Lenny might remember, I said, you, you don't want me to do uh, indigent ministry. And they said, why? I said, because I, I've had bad experiences. My entire career as a pastor. And Let me give you a couple examples. So I was serving a, a church over in Merchantville and my mom attended the church. Vicki will remember this. And we went out to lunch after church. I get a phone call from the church that a man has stopped in And he wants money. Now, why did he stop in after the pastor left? Because he's going to play on the heartstrings of the people who were there. And the people who were there were the little old ladies cleaning up fellowship after the church, putting the donuts and the pastries away. I'll be right there, I said. And I get there, and he's gone. I said, okay, who gave him money? And they all went like this. They said, "Well, here's his number, Pastor. You really need to talk to this guy. It's urgent, urgent, urgent." So I call him up, and he says, "My name is Carlos Ruiz, like the ball player, but I'm not the ball player, and here's the story he tells me. My daughter is in the hospital, leukemia, and she is actively dying. <coughs> My mother-in-law is flying in from Puerto Rico to Newark, and all I need, and all I need is gas money and tolls to get the Newark in back." And I said, well, as I understand it, the ladies at my church already gave you that money. And he hung up on me. About two weeks later, I get a call. Now you remember, my son is a pastor. And my son says, dad, I got this call from this guy. I said, is his name Carlos Ruiz? He says, how did you know that? I said, is his daughter still dying? He says, dad. Now remember, he's a young pastor, I'm a grumpy old pastor. I said, you did not give him money. He says, no, my church's policy is that we give gift cards. I have a set of gift cards, Acme, Target, or whatever to adjust the need. I told him that's all we have, and he hung up on me. So I checked with a couple other pastor friends, and Carla Ruiz's daughter has been actively dying for about three months. And he had been going from church to church to Church collecting whatever they would give him for gas and tolls to get his, his mother-in-law must be really tired of waiting for him after three months. Now what happens is the pastor gets jaded, right? Because now I know that this guy is ripping off the body of Christ. Here's another one. My very first church, the senior pastor said, you are in charge of indigent ministries. That's the people who knock on the door that aren't members of the church asking for help. And this church was in the county seat. So they would go to family court and then they would go to the nearest church, which was us, and knock on the door and see what they could get. There's this one guy named Ronald. I'll never forget Ronald. And Ronald's only goal was to get cash. Now, in our attempt to keep Ronald from getting cash, I had an arsenal I had a pantry with bags of food, and they were labeled. This is enough food for two. This is enough food for four. And when Ronald came in, he said, we don't have any money for food. I could give him a bag of food, no money. I'm feeling good. If Ronald said, you know, I just need to to get something to eat. I had gift certificates for the local diner. We had a deal with them, I would send him over, and whatever he ate, they would send us the bill, and we, I would go over, pay the bill, and tip. I had gift certificates for the local grocery store. I was ready. And Ronald's main goal in life was to figure out what I was not prepared for and to ask for it. Ronald says, we're hungry, we need food. How many are in your house this month, Ronald? He says, I have four. I go, I get the four, I hand it to him. He starts looking through the bag. What's wrong, Ronald? There's no dog food. (laughs) I have a dog. (sighs) Here, Ronald, is money for dog food. Next week, next, next month, you know what I had in that bag? I had dog food in that bag. Ronald looks through the bag. He says, "Uh, Pastor, I don't know how to tell you this. It's my wife's time of the month. (laughs) You know I didn't have that in the bag. Here's some money, Ronald. And this became a tug of war for the two years I served that church because Ronald wanted the cash, and it was my job not to give him the cash. So that when somebody comes to our church and says, Pastor, I need money, I trust them as much as I trust a politician which is not at all. And yet, the parable today says, when I was sick, and when I was tired, and when I was in prison, and when I was thirsty, and when I was hungry, and this pastor says, prove it. Now, I want you to hear something different between today and Jesus' day, which might have actually made this parable easier in Jesus' day than our day. If you had a real need, and you might remember this from some of the stories of Jesus healing people, they actually gave you a garment. And if you were a certified beggar for the town, you got a beggar's garment and you were allowed to go to the main places in town and beg for alms and the town had assessed, this person has a need, they cannot provide for themselves, we will provide for them. I sort of wish that people who knocked on the door of the church had the garment, but they don't. So then what does this do for us? Well, Jesus paints a picture. And I want you you to hear the picture that's, that's being painted here is that he is our shepherd and we are the shepherds of those around us. Now, it's interesting that in Scripture the idea of the Messiah being a shepherd really wasn't in the picture. The Messiah in the Old Testament was to be a priest, a prophet, and a king. Now a prophet reveals or speaks for God. They they communicate God's truth. And usually the prophet is telling us what's wrong and what we need to fix. The priest's role was to offer sacrifice to God to cleanse us from sin and Jesus offered himself as the perfect sacrifice. So he was a prophet in that he brought the word of God to us, he was a priest in that he offered himself to God to cleanse us from our sins and he was the king who's going to rule and reign over his subjects. Now, a shepherd doesn't rule and reign over their subjects. A shepherd leads their sheep. A shepherd protects their sheep. A shepherd provides for their sheep. A shepherd cares for and heals the sheep. And if if you need to go over what that shepherd role is, the 23rd Psalm paints that picture. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. So here's the, the preaching difficulty I have today. You, you may or may not know that today is Christ the King's Sunday. It is the end of the church year. And I know that because Danny and I had a chat today because next week is the first Sunday of Advent. Advent. It's the beginning of the new year. This is the moment in the church year where we stop to recognize that Jesus is the king, that he is coming back before we spend the next four weeks getting ready to welcome him again as the infant. It signals to us the end of the church year. It's our last look at the risen, ruling Jesus. And it reminds us that there is an end to the story. I want you to hear that. The story is not yet over. Today we see the good shepherd coming to his kingdom. And I want you to hear this. Jesus didn't say if, he said when. It's guaranteed, it's promised. The king is coming back, and the king is going to, like a shepherd, separate the sheep from the goats. How do we know that he's the king? Because he says when the Son of Man sits on his throne, he'll be recognized as the king with ultimate authority. He's gonna divide the sheep and the goats, we've heard that several times, and he's gonna reward the doers, and he's going to scold and punish, I wish there was a word for undoer, (laughs) the, the do nots, I guess you could call them. And we are supposed to hear the challenge that we hear from James, and we've talked about the last several weeks, is that we are to be not only hearers of the word, but doers. Not because doing things gets us into heaven, but because we do things because Jesus loves us and we share his love with others. We need to provide for those in need and we need to share the warning that Jesus pulls back the curtain and shares with us. There is an end of the story. Not everybody goes to heaven. And it's our job to minister to those in need so that we can share with them the gospel. Uh, Leo Tolstoy tells the story of Martin the cobbler. You may have heard this one. It's a lonely shoemaker who is promised in a dream that Jesus will come and visit his cobbler shop. The next day Martin gets up early, he gets his shop ready, he prepares a meal and he waits. And the only one who shows up that morning is an old beggar who came by and asked for some rest. Martin gives him a room and he prepared for Jesus. And the only one who shows up in the afternoon is an old lady with a heavy load of wood. And she's hungry. She asks for food. And Martin gives her the food that he prepared for his divine guest. When evening came, a, a lost boy wandered by and Martin took him home afraid all the while that he would miss Jesus. In that night he prayers, he asked the Lord, where were you? I waited all day. And the Lord said this to Martin, three times I came to your friendly door, three times my shadow was on your floor. I was a beggar with bruised feet. I was a woman you gave to eat. I was the homeless child on the street. Jesus visited Martin three times. So there's another cute story I'd like to share with you. This one I'd never heard before. Let me find it here. A little boy decided that he wanted to go see God. He'd he'd heard stories about God, but nobody could tell him what God was like. And uh, that's the wrong story. Here it is. You ever have one of those days? Now, I went over my notes this morning. I'm sorry for those of you who are listening online. What we have here is a very confused-looking pastor. So here we go. I don't even know how to edit this out of the recording. So there was a little boy. I've got half the story right here. There was a little boy who wanted to meet God. And he knew it would be a long trip, so he got out a suitcase... And he filled the suitcase with Twinkies and cans of root beer, two of his favorite foods. And he set off on a journey with his suitcase. He'd only gone a few blocks and he was really tired and he sat down on a bench next to an old woman. And she was sitting there feeding the pigeons. She looked sad and lonely, so the boy went over and he sat down right next to her. He opened his suitcase. He took out a package of Twinkies and he offered it to her. She gratefully took it and smiled at him, and her smile was so warm and wonderful that the boy wanted to see it again, so he offered her a can of root beer. Once again, she took it, and the boy was delighted. (laughs) So they sat there all afternoon eating the Twinkies and drinking the cold root beers and watching the pigeons, and they really didn't say anything to each other. As it grew dark, the boy realized that he'd better get started home and he got up to leave. But before he'd gone a few steps, he turned around, ran back to the old woman and gave her a big hug and she gave him the biggest smile of all. When the boy got home, his mom noticed how happy he seemed. So she asked him what he'd done all day and he told her, well, I had lunch with God. And you know what? She has the most beautiful smile I've ever seen. Meanwhile, the older woman returned to her home and her son noticed how happy and contented she seemed. So he asked her what she had done to make her so happy. And she said to him, I I sat in the park and ate Twinkies with God. And you know what? He's much younger than I expected. (laughs) There are three lessons here. The first one is this. Living the gospel is costly. Hear that. Living the gospel is costly. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you money. It's going to cost resources. It's going to cost emotional strength. But that doesn't mean we don't do it. The second truth I want you to hear is this. Living the gospel is inconvenient. It takes us away from what we want to do and reminds us what we should do. I compare it to parenting or being married. They're both similar sometimes. You're sitting, maybe you've had a long day at work and you plant yourself in your favorite spot with a good book, maybe a glass of iced tea or Coke Zero. And then somebody calls you. And the last thing you want to do is get up out of that seat. You, you worked hard all day, you've been on your feet, but what do you do? You love them, you get up and you go and you, you deal with it. Now, if you have more than one child or a spouse and several children, this could be an ongoing event. You may never get to that book that you set down and the uh, Coke Zero might be warm by the time you actually get to it. But when we're called, we have to go. Living the gospel is inconvenient. And perhaps the best of all, remember the story with the little boy and the woman's smile and how much that meant to him. Living the gospel is resonating with the heart of God. Uh, you may have heard this story before. It's, it's uh, one of my favorites. It challenges my heart. The is told that on the Gulf of Mexico on, and Texas, They have storms that wash starfish up on the beach. And sometimes there can be thousands and thousands of starfish washed on the beach. And the starfish don't die until the sun comes up. And as the sun comes up, it dries out the starfish, and the thousands and thousands of them will die. A man is walking his dog on the beach, and there's this little boy gleefully picking up a starfish, running down to the edge of the ocean and throwing it in. And then he goes and he he gets another and he throws it. And the man calls the little boy over to himself and he says, son, what are you doing? He says, I'm saving the starfish. He says, son, there are thousands of starfish. You could never save them all. Little boy thinks about it. He picks up one starfish. He says, yes, but it sure means a lot to this one. And he throws it in. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And his command to us in this parable is to expend the cost of living the gospel, to experience the inconvenience of living gospel, and to resonate with the heart of God. If you've never known Jesus as the good shepherd, make today that you admit that you need a savior, that you believe that Christ died for you, that you confess your sins And that you do it now. When we're singing the last hymn, come forward and sit on the front pew and our deacons and our pastors would love to pray with you. If you know Jesus, but you're not connected as a Christian to the actions that you know you need to have, start now. There used to be a, a phrase in the 70s when we had youth group in Sunday school, if you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If you're challenged today that you're not living that gospel, again, during the last hymn, come and sit in the first pew and our deacons and our pastors would love to pray with you. And finally, as always, our church is open to counsel and prayer. If, if there's something on your heart that you need to address Or or talk to a pastor about, again, during the last hymn, our front pew is open. Why? Because it means a lot to this one. Amen.